0: Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Fright Rags. Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slashers, and cult classics. Officially licensed collections include hit titles like John Carpenter's The Thing, Evil Dead, Creepshow, Jaws, and so many more. Brand new this week is the brand new collection of hats featuring the Chucky franchise, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Escape from New York, and Tales from the Crypt. Also stay tuned next week for a special reprint of the classic Creepshow design and lounge pants, just in time for Father's Day. All officially licensed and available now at Fright-Rags.com. Colors of the Dark listeners can get 10% off when they use the code Dark 10. Again, that is use code DARK10 at checkout, and you can get 10% off. That is D A R K 1 0 for 10% off at Fright Rags.com.
1: This week's episode is sponsored by RLJE Films. Every story has its beginning. The latest entry in the Walking Dead universe is here and it is set 10 years after the events that started the series. Season 1 of The Walking Dead World Beyond will be available on DVD and Blu-ray June 15th. When a group of teenagers who have been sheltered from the dangers of the post-apocalyptic world receive a message that inspires them to leave the safety of the only home they've ever known, they embark on a cross-country journey to save their father. Feast your eyes on The Walking Dead World Beyond. Pre-order your copy on Amazon.com today.
0: In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years and Fangoria is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online. So the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise. But we can safely say you do not want to miss a single page. Head over to Fangoria.com to learn more and subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter promo code COLORS, that is C-O-L-O-R-S, to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Again, that is code COLORS to save 25% off your yearly subscription to Fangoria Magazine.
1: Welcome to Colors of the Dark. Uh, we have left the 80s. Uh, I am joined in the 2020s by Dr. Rebecca McKenzie.
0: 2021. Yeah, 2020. Oh, 2020s. Yeah, it could be so either. I have a whole decade. Okay. I have a whole lot of time.
1: Uh, <laughs> your hair is a little less feathered, and I'm less flock of seagulls today. I know. Like, here we are. A
0: little less, little less sprayed up, but um, we're back, and- uh, normal uh i won't call it normal but we have our standard show tonight where we have a fantastic guest with just a really gem of a new movie coming out it was definitely one of my um kind of perks of the week was watching this it really did lift my spirits quite a bit and um then we also have our deep cut and our movie fight in this episode Um, we
1: went away for the 80s we had too much to fit in but don't worry, uh, as as Becca knows, I'm doing everything I can to avoid any kind of traditional structure week to week. I
0: know, week I'm year. very much. <laughs> This club I'm like
1: doing podcasts that were always the same, I'm like, I refuse to have any structure it's that's the true. same. True, it week.
0: is true. No, after years and years of Shockwaves always being like, this is what we've watched, and this is our interview segment. It was always and just POV, yeah. and Killer POV had a similar layout. We we're very much like, let's just mix it up each week. Let's get weird. And
1: yeah, I, this is our standard. You know, sometimes guess sometimes not guests. We don't know. We don't
0: know. It's gonna get crazy. <laughs> I I am um so kind of anal retentive with the structure. Um, so I'm trying to fight that because I. No, you're not, and so yeah, the, we're going all I loosey Goosey here.
1: But I, I am sometimes, but I, it is just I just don't want to do the same thing. I don't either. Me, so it's always nice to uh, mix it. Up. I like
0: but I like speak. that we did three episodes of list making, and now we're back with a traditional one. And yeah. hell, when I come back in August, I might do a Nightmare University style lecture. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it. So
1: yeah, late week pepper it in Pepperdine, it's 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 our you know it's our space to do what keeping
0: it, it wild. So um, I mean,
1: we we watched Winter Beast, we watched Don't Panic, we talked about it a bit on the Patreon, but you know we can remind people. That Winter Beast is just utterly bonkers.
0: Winter Beast is a fucking trip. If you're going to blind buy one film from Vinegar Syndrome, okay, you should probably buy a lot.
1: Night Beast. Night Beast first. Night okay, Beast and then- <laughs> first, followed by <laughs> but if Winter buy Beast.
0: <laughs> Winter Beast is... Epic. It is amazing. It is just this combination of like, oh my God, I can't believe this was ever made. And hey, this is actually a scary scene. Um, this is actually really well shot to, oh my God, why did they let this guy do like a five minute monologue without
1: Claymation. Yeah,
0: claymation. It's got something and for everyone totem in that holes, shit. Yep. Um, so yeah.
1: And it is not entirely politically correct. No, God no god no. That's why it's called Winter Beast. Uh yeah. and but you know, that was an interesting double that we did. Uh, I kind of realized I didn't know if a film could really follow Winter Beast and that is as crazy as Don't Panic is it's a tough spot it
0: is I don't think I don't think Don't Panic is a good Winter Beast follow just because Winter Beast is so goddamn out there Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean Don't Panic is a trip but it did not hold a candle to the what the fuck is going on that is Winter Beast. Um, yeah. So yeah, but
1: that was a good time. That was our last for for this part of summer. It was our last uh, summer screening. Yeah, USC. But it was a lot of fun. There,
0: there's a chance that when we pick those back up, we may be in person in some of the USC theaters, but I'm hoping we can also continue it online just because it's been so great letting people from all across like the country. It like see. Yeah. It. Um,
1: I think that's the charming. thing, like whether it's every second or something, it, it may, may be less frequently, but I think there is something nice about doing something where just anyone in the world could check it out. I, I, I do find that very appealing. I really, I can't
0: aspect. pass up screening Devil's Honey in IMAX. But at the same time, being able to like share these films with people, you know, who are in Massachusetts, it's just been wonderful. Um, they're not all in Massachusetts, but it was a nice. There's example. two in Vermont, but that's, <laughs> oh. that's fine.
1: Uh, but yeah, no, that, those were a lot of fun. And you can always see. So I know not everyone, because I didn't know initially. All the post and pre-taped uh, segments we do for those are all on a YouTube channel. So if you have missed any of our um shows that we've been doing the live thing they all exist somewhere it's on
0: the usc exactly cinematic arts youtube channel
1: yeah so you can watch us uh, in our pajamas yeah um
0: <laughs> new film yeah so we had this was a pretty exciting week in horror um because and and granted nothing is really kind of laid yet but there's you know for everyone it has been this huge kind of question of when theaters start opening back up when the world starts opening back up are people going to attend? And this past week, we saw this massive influx of people rushing in. And what they were seeing was horror. We saw Saw dominating. Then we saw Conjuring, or Quiet Place, place 2 dominating. Um, and so, and Conjuring 3 this week, we have seen horror kind of really... Taking the box office for this big first surge. So I'm hoping... Who would have thought? Who I know, thought
1: right? The a legit medium. Mm.
0: always makes money. It doesn't mm. matter the circumstance. Mm. Um, so, yeah. yeah so it, it was kind of a nice uh, to see, you know, that when people rush back into the theaters, what do they want to see is horror. And, and all
1: franchises. All, franchises. All, all sequels to franchises, which is interesting too. I think that... Uh, showing that people uh, were still hungry for it. Honestly,
0: I think that that was um, kind of a smart move move is like with this return what people wanted was kind of like you know a return to the comfy sweater and you know i think that placing a brand new ip right in this that first couple of weekends when theaters were really reopening i think would have been a really risky maneuver like executive me uh wouldn't have done it
1: yeah, because those um, ride off word of mouth. Yeah. Right? like and So you can't really get word of mouth if no one's in the theater. Yeah,
0: like Conjuring and Quiet Place, they don't have to do a huge amount of preview on because everybody knows those films from the first couple of rounds um same with the saw franchise like it's it's its own marketing vehicle just by having it be part of the saw franchise um i don't think that it would have been a smart place to put like a brand new shark film or something like that even though that they usually kick off that first june weekend is usually one of the big kind of horror summer blockbusters but kind of returning to those the same franchise. It was a smart move. But um, yeah, it was good to see them do success. And I'm also really intrigued to see kind of some of the long-term numbers on Conjuring 3 because it did the simultaneous release to theaters and also to HBO Max. Well,
1: and- let's talk about that for a second before we talk about the movie. There is a 0.000% chance that this human could ever... Get to the theater if the movie was also free at his house, right? And 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 that's not to, and that doesn't mean I don't want to see that movie personally. Personally, I want to see like a fifty day maybe window in the long run mm. for big movies like that because I do want to want to go see it in the theater first, but. That said, um, this one, I gave an extra half star because I didn't have to see it in theaters and pay for it. Had I done that, I would have been more disappointed. Exactly. And so that's also an interesting, whereas Quiet Ones, I haven't gone to the theater yet. I have a feeling it's going to be gangbusters. Everyone's saying it's Everybody's great. Everybody's said it's it, um, And it's bombastic, so you want to hear it loud. But I do think that's a very interesting, like you're definitely right, that if, if it's going to be some simultaneous, and it's great to see people went to the theater, but there's, and that's also because a lot of people don't have HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So it's not like HBO Max is the easiest one. It's not like Amazon, where anyone could get access to Amazon. Amazon and push a button on Prime or something like that. Yeah, like, like it. it's a so,
0: $2.99 rent. Like and, HBO yeah. Max is honestly a commitment that I've questioned having. And this kind of makes me say, okay, you know what? They're going full stop. I got HBO Max when they were showing the um, I the Nixon, Nixon sex cult one, um, the documentary yeah. on like the crazy celebrity sex cult thing. That's what made me get it is I was like, I have to know, you know, the documentary about the sex cult, which was – incredibly fascinating and dominated you know i binge watched that shit for like two days and then kind of forgot i had hbo max um and i'd watched like lovecraft country and a couple things last summer but yeah i honestly forgot i had it and then suddenly when i found out this had gone straight to hbo max i was like holy shit wait am i still paying for that i am still paying for that i know I felt
1: pretty exciting (laughs) This is definitely the most exciting release they've had for me since they've had H, because it's more like, oh, cool, I get to see that new Conjuring movie this easily, and I didn't have to do any work for it. So I'm glad, that part of it, I was very glad Mm -hmm. for in this situation. But in the long run, for movies, I would like to see it, I would like to always see some daylight between the theatrical, otherwise, otherwise, uh, quite honestly, theatrical doesn't have a chance in the long run, if it's day and day, in my mind, so you know but you know let's see what happens in the short term we're still not there yet we still have a lot of people who aren't aren't vaccinated we have a lot of people who don't want it you know the world's still not completely there so it makes sense to be cautious with both
0: yeah it's, it's definitely I think depending on where you are in the country would determine whether or not I would feel comfortable going to a theater right now and I've been vaccinated so yeah it's definitely like a You know, it's different where you go a lot of places. So we'll see kind of what the long term, like if this is sustainable, you know, with keeping theaters open, especially when it gets in the fall, when it becomes a seasonal flu thing. But that said, I'm glad we have found a solution during the interim, and I'm glad that we are still seeing some big stuff there. But that said, let's dig in. What were your thoughts on Conjuring 3?
1: Okay. First thought was I was a hundred percent sure this was going to be the Amityville one. So the whole first ten minutes, I'm waiting, going, "Oh, and then he must go to the Amityville, and then the guy must go." Like literally, my brain was so. And also the title, I was like, oh, "Of course it's that story." I didn't realize it was this other story. That's a you know a, a real and quote marked mm-hmm. story. Um, I had I didn't actually know this one. So um, you know, okay. So my big underlining thing about this one, and we and we probably will agree on this fact, pa- fact is this felt like the Night Stalker TV show to The Night Stalker movie yes. where this feels like a TV movie spin-off version of that franchise. It does not feel and it's not the one thing I, I'm very aware of is I I assume because James Wan's not the director that a lot of people are going to point at the direction as the problem. That is not the problem. The The problem is the script. There is a line in this movie at the very start where she goes, but then where do we start? And he goes, how about at the beginning? And I was like, oh, it's the script.
0: Mine was, no, um, our, our love is not our weakness. Our love is more than that our love is everything. Our love is our strength. And but I was like, that should have been one line. Like it just should
1: have been pressed. And Um, and whether it's the scripts or the way that Juan handled the scripts, he was always able to get around that and make it feel very authentic with this. There's, it's so much more procedural mm -hmm. than the others that, which can be good, but in this case really make it feel like a TV movie from, and, and, and look, it's a, it's a, pretty good one and it's fun i still love those two characters uh you know i love their screen characters not the real warrens um let's make sure that people understand there's a huge difference and go look it up for yourself to make your own decision on them but like you know these characters i like them i like the way they're used i like the universe of them there's things little things that really like surprisingly bugged me number one if you're gonna have their daughter appear in this movie replace the actor who used to play it how about don't put it in the movie? Because it was one scene. It was and she hugs Patrick Wilson. I'm like, why did you even and bother? It was
0: very so little distracting. explanation about her. Yeah. She just appeared in one scene. There was a right, lot
1: but she of was them. a major actress in the other yeah. two movies, and you're like, where's that character? Can't she just be gone away? So that threw me off. Little things like that took me out of the world here and there. Mm-hmm. Um but it but it was definitely that realization that yeah, it's this there's the script is not as strong and the and the kind of structure of it is a little it feels it felt overly familiar at this point. So, you know?
0: Well, mine, I mean, this definitely for me was a different thing than what I was accustomed to. Um, I will say the two and a half hour runtime, I will, uh, this movie should have been, you know, like a hundred minutes. Um, it mm-hmm. did feel, I felt the length on this one. Like it did feel like just a really extended, extended detective story that just kept going. Um, and yet I didn't think that the time was spent on the actual detective mystery because without getting too spoilery when it came to the actual trying to figure out who is causing all this it was just like oh it's her like it was just such like a um you know just kind of it was like at the
1: end and quite fast
0: convenient connection that it was like oh 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 okay well that was easy um it just kind of came out of left field but what i think um you know, kind of made it feel a lot different for me is that in all of the other ones, um, there have been a clear kind of, this is what we are battling. We are battling this ghost that we call Mr. Pipes or whatever it was in the second one. We are battling this haunted painting. We are battling this possessed doll. This is the spirit that is possessing her. We are battling Bathsheba who has possessed this mother. In this one, you are battling a witch, who has cursed like three different families. And the curse can be passed from person to person without the witch even being involved. Like there's a scene in the opening where it's like, come into me, come into me. And literally a, a, a completely different character takes the family's curse. And so with that, there is no clear, like, this is the person who is possessed and everything is kind of spiraling from them. There was like, six different characters who were experiencing the curse. And so a lot of it, and so, and it, it was difficult to follow because you thought that the one boy who had been arrested had the curse at that point. But then the other little boy who you thought had been relieved of the curse is at home and has the vision on the waterbed. And I was like, oh, so he still has it? Like it was not as clear as this is the demon, this is our source of anger um, and we need to target everything towards figuring out how to stop this particular demon. Instead it was- Which- yeah it was
1: well that goes hand in hand with like who do you care about yeah. that the best thing about those first two, even though the second has flaws, but it's still got some great stuff in mm-hmm. it. you care so much about each of the families because you spent so much time with them in the first movie, you get to know that family so well. you spent so much time with the family as as she's getting possessed same with the second film, you get to know the family, you get intricately involved in this. I never really got to know anyone. you got to know the one kid a bit like the teenager guy who's but not not, really. not for very long. No. Not really. And it's not like you care that you're like, oh, I care. I don't want him to visit, but I don't feel the stakes. It was
0: all the, the Warrens. Way. This was all yeah. the Warrens. And I will say they are fun characters and I will watch them, you know, kind of do their relationship. And there were definitely some cool kind of like, you know, I'm psychic and I'm going in scenes and there were still some good nights. But that's
1: why yeah. I felt like a, this felt like the... Um- episode one of their eight episode new Netflix version <laughs> of the conjuring which would be fine if that's the direction that this this world is now ready for maybe that's what they should do but it wasn't as fun as the last Annabelle mm-hmm. and they had a part in that that last Annabelle was a lot of fun and and it was playful and this has a couple of sequences that you know stood out there was one sequence uh, where the guys uh, you know is dancing with his friend and there's another girl dancing and that kind of gets a hurry towards it. I thought that one,
0: one a was a really and, nice escalation yeah. that one was cool
1: so, so some of them had that but you know again it, It just, you know, so I do think it was disappointing. Like I said, I I probably gave an extra half star at the end when when I was doing my rating because I was like, eh, I didn't have to do anything for it. If I'd seen this in a theater, I could imagine walking out and being more disappointed because my expectation would have been higher in that sense. I
0: wanted more mythology and rationale behind it was my biggest thing. And I mean, there were really fun sequences. And I will say I did enjoy watching this. But once I started thinking about it, there's a specific line where they're talking about why the witch is cursing people. And like somebody goes, but why is she doing it? And the character just goes, she doesn't need a reason. Chaos. And I was like, oh, I kind of want a reason there. It can be tenuous. It can just be like they all wronged her in high school. I don't really care. Just some thing
1: that's why um, you have to cast a really good actor like john noble from fringe to yeah. say a when line john like that, noble says you believe him. she
0: doesn't need a reason just yeah. <laughs> so, okay Somebody's i'll so. go with it i'll go with it you said it with intensity but still i kind of like a reason yeah, no. there um but yes but that's definitely said,
1: worth watching if you it's have definitely it definitely still but it's, worth
0: watching it's but, you know. not the first two but definitely still. And I
1: don't watching. know if it's like, I'm not doing my full rankings of that universe. It's definitely above the first Annabelle for me, which I just cannot stand that first Annabelle, even though I love all the other Annabelles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't like the nun much, not the script. There's scenes in it that are. Crazy. I like some of the so, scenes, like
0: the graveyard scene. Yeah. Dope, but... Yeah. There's I some good said, scenes. So I think I it's in that it kind of dope. realm. Did you hear me? 19, yeah. The nun, nun's got some dopes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, that's the conjure, but make up your own mind uh, because, you know, look, I know how much this world means to some some People and, and it is a really cool world, and the leg it still has legs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Whether we'll see these two too many more times, I don't know, but um, obviously, the universe itself, there's still probably a
0: time. I assumed uh, they were going to spin some of those really cool ghosts out from that last Annabelle movie, um, because man, well, like, that
1: last one felt like Friday the 13th, the series, yeah, and that's why I like it. It was it so like
0: much, we yeah. got a closet full of literal ghosts, and if I don't see a fairy yeah. man movie, then what uh-huh, is the fairy man was yeah, really cool? What is this world even coming to? Or the bride, there was like a really cool bride in that. She was dope. Um, so yeah, I would yeah, like to to see you know one of, a, a bride movie. I feel like if any place that you can continue with this like that is a really good place to root it. And I always thought we were gonna get um, the what is it the the one character from Conjuring two. There was a rhyme about him. Oh, oh, the
1: man, the jangly, jangly or man. crooked
0: man, the crooked man crooked who lives man. in a crooked house. I assumed that we were gonna get a crooked man yeah. movie as well. Yeah um so i'm expecting those so make it happen juan
1: (laughs) yeah exactly so we'll see what's left in that but the hey the good news is it did well at the box office and i'm sure it did gangbusters on hbo max and we'll probably continue to do so so a reminder to them that horror is worth your money which is good for all of us definitely
0: um so you also saw the new saw
1: i saw that well it's not a new saw it's spiral spiral from the book of saw so you have to My you bad. know, uh, and th- that's the only thing that's even in common with Saw besides the director who did two three and four uh darren Lynn Bowesman's back at the helm uh pookie from uh, uh chris rock is <laughs> from uh is in this one we have that i keep wanting to also talk about cb4 but i'll stick to this movie um i love cb4 uh chris rock sam jackson a bunch of traps um a lot of cops yelling at each other uh, like it's it, you know that one scene that would always be made fun of in like Lethal Weapon where the the captain's yelling at you. I feel like half this movie was characters yelling at each other in that kind of way. Uh, Max is uh, Chris Rock's partner. It opens with this really fun, like Chris Rock is like a gangster drug. Lord with his guys and they're committing this big crime and they all get in a car and I was like oh I'm so into this movie what is this I want to watch this movie and then you realize he's a cop and he was undercover and then you kind of go back into the normal world it's like oh I kind of want to just watch that world of Chris Rock being the super cop <laughs> um I never believed Chris Rock in this too much like it, and I like I like this I, it's fun it's got some scenes that really work it I found myself not this is the weird part I found myself pretty uninterested in returning to the world of Saul like the traps and stuff was what weirdly enough what i found least interesting and that's not a great sign because you know i actually watched all of those in the theater Mm -hmm. and always year after year but you know some things just are done uh for me but so i had moments a couple of traps are cool anytime sam jackson was on screen the movie got better um i felt chris rock when he's real serious like this it just you know just didn't quite work for me i just it just can't sometimes it seems like he's trying very hard to not be funny or something there's other parts that are actually really naturalistic because he's being funny um you know there's stuff about it i liked i thought it was a little disappointing by the end um it's not it's hey it's far from being the worst saw movie uh so you know that take that with it's not to me worth the 20 dollars you'd have to pay right now i think once it comes down to that normal Price point of six, mm-hmm. $6. ninety nine or whatever, I'd say go for it because um, I think for a lot of people it will bring back the nostalgia. And and I think Darren, in terms of filmmaking, I think it's as good, almost as it's not quite as good as two two's still the best saw movie oh, yeah. in my opinion. But um, but I think it's you know it's up there in terms of how it's put together. It's just there's something and again sometimes it can just be us like for me I'm just maybe not interested anymore in returning to those traps and I'm a
0: sucker for puzzle movies it does not matter how they are shaped I will I mean and that was why I liked the one that we got just a couple of years ago um, was I am a sucker for puzzle movies Yeah,
1: I think you might you might rather enjoy it and there's couple couple of the angles were actually really well done Um, but sometimes you know it also depends where you are in the mystery sometimes you work these things out a little too quick and it can ruin the movie for Mm -hmm. you. You know, I don't think it'll be the case for everyone. Maybe it was for me, but, but like I said, I'm putting it in that kind of, it's in the same to me, almost very similar categories, how I felt about the conjuring where it's like, Oh, this is a familiar thing. Maybe a little too familiar. Maybe not doing enough, but hey, it's cool that it's Chris Rock and Sam Jackson. That's a nice change yeah. up, right? Um, and it's not, it's not um, whatever the guy's name is from <laughs> the source here. He, it's not a jigsaw movie. Okay. Right? It's still, t- but it, it, but it's playing jigsaw with adjacent. the same trope. Yeah. Jigsaw is not the character and that's not a spoiler. I think everyone knows that Jigsaw wasn't going to, and that was, I think, a positive for, for it to feel different, mm-hmm. I think. so. So, yeah, this is the kind of movie that I think will do really well when it's free like I feel like when this kind of pops up on all the platforms and you no longer have to pay everyone will be watching it and maybe maybe enjoying it a lot in that way so That's so, so that spiral from the book of Saw.
0: Um, well, I'm going to start with another new one as well. Did you talk about Oxygen a couple of weeks ago? I feel like you mm-hmm. did. Was it on the last show? Yeah, I told show? you that.
1: I thought you would dig it. It seemed like your kind of thing. Yeah,
0: since you already covered it, I'll keep it brief. Um, but this one yeah. I loved. So Oxygen um, is the new Alexandra Aja one, and it is currently on Netflix. And it, it, it sounds really basic. It is a woman who wakes up in a cryo tube. And she wasn't supposed to wake up. Like she was supposed to stay asleep for another, like, you know, 100 years or something like that while she was traveling to this. Um, she was just supposed to stay asleep. I'll say that. And it's a hard one not to spoil. Yeah, it's a hard one not to because you got
1: it. <laughs> it hasn't got much. But either. that said,
0: you, you find out like what's going on with, uh, and yeah. there is only a certain amount of oxygen within this cryotube. And she wasn't using any of it while she was in cryostasis. But now that she is awake, She's using it very quickly and is going to die unless she can have someone find her and figure out why she is shut in this cryo tube and how to get her back to either cryostasis or let her out. And the only instrument that she has is this concierge computer inside the cryo tube, which is basically like a souped up Siri or an Alexa um, where she can be like, who am I? And it will tell her it only knows like her pod number. You are pod number five, nine, seven. Well, who's in pod number five, nine, seven. And so she has to go through all of this stuff to try to figure out who she is, who to call. She tries calling the police and the police can't find her. Um, she reads them the serial number on the pod and they can't find anything because they show that that pod was destroyed years ago. And so it's all of this kind of detective work while she is laying in a pod. Um And so it sounds like it's going to be really boring, but it is a really, really fun kind of science fiction thrill ride. Like I, it's one of those puzzle movies that I was like totally into. Additionally, the pod keeps trying to kill her at various points. <laughs> Any, cause apparently the pod has like this humane setting when it's like, you're going to suffocate in 10 minutes. I'll take care of that now. And then all these like needles with like death serum come out.
1: So it keeps trying to give her a, what is it? Like a, a shot to relax. Your yeah. Whatever. It keeps trying uh, to give her a sedative.
0: Would you, would Yeah, you would like
1: you like a, a sedative?
0: <laughs> um, and so it's, it's, there's funniness to it as well. Like it's got some humor to it in just the way that she's reacting with the pod and the information that she's finding out along the way. Um, But at the same time, it is this ticking bomb because you know, at the very beginning that she's got less than an hour of air left. And how is she going to kind of fix this and what's going to happen from there? And, um, and even why is she there? And she has no recollection of who she is. She can vaguely remember her first name, but that's about all she's got at the start of it. And um, then she starts getting flashes and she learns things from the concierge system. So this one, it, it's on Netflix, so you probably already got access to it. And it was just um, a super fun little tight watch. It's only 90 minutes, so you're in, you're out. And I really enjoyed this one. And so that is... Oh my gosh,
1: that's a director. Yeah,
0: this one. And this he does good. really well with these enclosed spaces because after I started watching this, I was like, dude, this is like... And we'll talk about this in a little bit with our guest how do you shoot a movie with just one person? Like where do you point the camera? Cause usually it's like coverage and locations and establishing shots of big giant buildings. We're about to go inside of, and you know, here's my giant monster and here's the monster. Like you're looking at things. If it's one woman in a cryopod talking to a computer for a whole movie, how the fuck do you make it visually interesting? And he does get the right woman. Yeah. And then it feels a lot like crawl where it, you know, it's just two people in that movie for the most part. And you do have some alligators and cool set pieces, but yeah, it's really. And high tension. I
1: mean, you go back to high tension. tension.
0: It's all. That's that's mining a lot
1: from small spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, trapping her in the back of the car or wherever it is. yeah. So yeah. No yeah I thought that was fun.
0: Yeah really. And, and
1: I love that actress Melanie Laurent from uh, *Inglorious Bastards is, is fantastic. So good
0: and, in this. So yeah, yeah. that is yeah. Oxygen currently on Netflix. I will say it's not like a horror movie where you know there's not going to be a lot of bloodletting. It's not spiral um, but it's. It's almost
1: like an episode of just Black Mirror. Right? Like it almost might be your expectations might be served better if you go in thinking it's like an episode of a great sci-fi anthology yep. or Twilight Zone for Versus calling it a movie where it's like, well, it's simpler than, you know, it's hard to, hard to, I know it's right now we're just talking about definitions, but even Buried feels more like a movie because there's more scenarios to Buried. I remember where Ryan Reynolds is in the coffin Mm -hmm. and all he has is the phone and stuff. Um, But but, but that's not to belittle it in any means. Like, I just, I think it's a really interesting piece, so um cool yeah so i some the last one i had that's new was super interesting i didn't realize it was out till only a couple nights ago and then i just watched the first two episodes so that is lisey's story which is the new stephen king eight part uh adaptation of one of his what he calls his favorite book says, or most personal book
0: julian moore in it correct
1: julian moore mm-hmm. and this is, and the cool thing is stephen king wrote all the episodes himself which is you know Stephen King doesn't do much and what's really interesting is the director of it you know I always love when he chooses an interesting director for an interesting project it's Pablo Lorraine who did um that Jackie Onassis biopic mm-hmm. where it's just like you know Natalie Portman as Jackie the camera's on her the whole movie and weird discordant under the skin music and so it's not horror but it fe- felt like horror and he uh, he's made a couple of other early films in Argentina that I really like that are uh, pretty intense too so just he's definitely an art house somewhere between art house and um weird tension director so this i literally probably wouldn't even be able to tell you what this is going to be from the two first two and i'm i took the imdb description and i'm not even up to that in two episodes the description on db says a widow becomes the object of a dangerous stalker obsessed with her husband's work so that hasn't even really started in episode two none of that so all i know is that julian moore is clearly a widow in the opening and she's still very upset that her husband who was clive owen who was a very famous author um has died you then see how he died uh he's doing he's doing a you know a, opening a new wing of a library or something and a obsessed fan yells something at him and shoots him and she was there a lot of people were there it's very public uh, her sisters Jennifer Jason Lee and her other sister's Joan Allen so it's like three massive stars wow. you know and Joan Allen's really almost unrecognizable she's not mentally well in the in the show and she's kind of almost going to lost places uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's kind of the sister who's always annoyed with Julian Moore so Julian Moore uh, So there's a lot of mystery around Clive Owen. We've never met Clive. We've only seen him in the flashbacks. The first episode was really very drama-based, and I wouldn't have even known it was a genre piece except for one scene, which is very interesting. So basically what you start to realize is if Clive Owen was this great author, you start to go, oh, but did he have some other power or has he tapped into some? This is going to sound weird, but if I just watched the first episode, I would have said that this feels more like a Clive Barker story in my mind, from some of the books I read when I was younger. Almost fantasy Weave World-esque, wow. just in the one element. Um, and then the second one was a little trippier, and got. but it's definitely a grief show. It's about grief and loss. And then what we start to see, so, I mean, only breadcrumbs of what this is going to be. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't tell you too much, but the breadcrumbs are, he's left clues for her. For something he says, Your hunt begins now, clue number one, and it's the thing that she, um, you know, hit the guy who shot him with on the on the day of the thing. And there's a little clue of it that he's lead. so he's obviously wanting to lead her somewhere, we don't know where yet. And, and I thought it was a three part thing, I didn't realize it was eight parts. And so when I got to two, I was like, Oh, how is this gonna get wrapped up so quick? And thankfully, it's more, but it's really well made and it's really kind of oblique and arty and odd. And it's on Apple TV, but I'm totally in, so there's a new one on Friday. And I'm very curious where this goes. I did talk to my our friend Dick about it and he had read Lacey's story and he said it like changes genre every like hundred pages. It became a different thing. So I'm, I'm excited to see the, the only kind of genre thing is they keep showing the three girls when they're kids. Mm-hmm. They used to pretend they're on a sailboat. So it shows a real <coughs> sailboat with these kids and the shoreline where all these people look really weird, almost like where the wild things go. But all the people look like like almost characters from a conjuring type universe. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of creepy and weird, but you don't know. Where it's headed and that's it like what I'm saying doesn't it and the stalker thing's just starting but it's very unclear where it's going to go it's just some guy who's totally obsessed by her husband's work and he wants to convince her to let go of some of his manuscripts that are are unpublished she doesn't want to publish them and that's all I really know but I, I didn't even know this was coming out and so uh, I love Julia Moore. She's still one of the best actors working today, and she's great in this. So, very curious where this one's going to go. Wow. Um, and I'm kind of cool that it's glad I had Apple because I don't pay for Apple. I did the thing where you already had bought something, so you get it for a year. So, um, and I, there hasn't been too much on there. You know, for A Servant was interesting, but. I haven't watched a lot on Apple TV.
0: Wolfwalkers, yet, which is not a horror film. It sounds like a horror film. It's a cartoon. They, it was yeah, nominated it was an for an Oscar. Movie. It's great. Yeah. Um, and I got Apple TV just so we could watch that because my daughter that. was such yeah. a huge fan of Secret of Kells, their prior film. Um, Yeah, it looked and, like her too. Yeah, it did look like looked her. Looked, looked her, looked her <laughs> bit, so. No, it definitely did. And- so
1: yeah, check it out if you're interested into the more heady. Hide- it definitely feels like an A twenty four type thing. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, what is this kind of story? Okay. Um, and I love when I don't know where something's gonna go. Like, I have no clue from the first two episodes, but I'm interested. So
0: that sounds that's Lucy's awesome. story. Um, okay. I will say really quick that um, if you are listening to this and want to check this out on our Patreon deep cuts episode, I talk about this amazing new movie called a record of sweet murder that I am still thinking about. Um, that is, is it's really intense, but worth hunting down. I talk a lot more about it on the Patreon show, but that one, it's one that's still with me. Um, but the other one that is still with me that I watched this week is snatchers which is oh, yeah. somehow I did not see. So this came out apparently in 2019. And when it came out, apparently it played like Sundance and South by and Stitges, stages and did all of the normal festival runs and things like that. And somehow I just never saw it. Mm. And it was recommended to me by someone on Twitter. And I finally went back and watched it this week. I believe it's like two bucks on Amazon. This was so Like this was honestly one of my best viewing experiences in a long time. It's a horror comedy about um, teen girls, specifically one in particular. Um, But the story kind of pivots and focuses on two of them. And essentially it is I could best compare it as like it's extra, but told through a teen girl. And so it's or actually, I found one of the reviews said it's um it's aliens meets mean girls. And I think it's more extra than aliens. But yeah, it's this aliens with a mean girls kind of a tone to it. The whole setup is this high school girl um, is really kind of trying to be popular and trying to fit in. And she's been dating this really hot guy, but he gets angry at her because she doesn't want to have sex. She's like, does not want to lose her virginity yet and real uncomfortable with it. And suddenly he breaks up with her and she goes through this thing where she's like, well, I have to get him back. So I'm going to have sex with him. And she goes over and has sex with him. And it's their very first time. And somehow the next morning she is pregnant. And, um, and the sex is really weird. Um, like he's just acting really weird during it. And the next morning she's not just pregnant. She's like nine months pregnant. Oh, extra, pregnant. extra yeah. pregnant. And she doesn't know what to do. Um, and all of her current friends are like really vacuous and, and just fighting for popularity. So she goes to the house of one of her childhood friends who is kind of like the smart nerd of the school and they don't really hang out anymore. So there's all of this, like, why are you talking to me? You barely even hang out. You barely even notice I'm alive anymore. And she's like, cause I need somebody I can trust. And then they see this. And by the time they make it to Planned Parenthood to potentially get an abortion, she gives birth to this thing and it is the, the birth scene is the greatest scene I have seen in forever. Like this movie does not pull any stops on the, like it just goes bonkers on the special effects. It is goopy. It is over the top. The birth scene is exactly what you want it to be. And she gives birth to this alien that can inject a stinger into the back of people's heads and control them. And then it becomes much more about aliens taking over the world and how it is spawning and making more aliens. And it all kind of goes back to that guy, the douchey boyfriend that she slept with. And he's still trying to, you know, bang other chicks throughout. And so, oh, my God, it's going to be more aliens. And he's such a just horrible person. He's impregnating all these people. Um, So it's daddy filling the world with alien babies. It is so because it is all in the hands of these two, like, 16-year-old teenage girls. One who is very much kind of the do-good or smart one who's like, this is why you're supposed to use a condom and constantly just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you slept with Skylar. And this is what happens when you sleep with Skylar. It's still got this very kind of high school humor to it. Um, it, But at the same time, it's got a lot of subtext going on about pregnancy and stigma and social groups. So it does have this mean girls quality to it. And the idea of, you know, I'm fighting for popularity. So I don't want to hang out with these childhood friends anymore and things like that. So it's, this was just um, a lovely discovery for me. Um, it's, it's got some flaws to it, but it is full of energy. It never stops moving. And the special effects are just epic just really really good hmm. Um, clearly had it. a giant budget on this so I'm not sure how I didn't see it like it felt like it you know was like a theatrical style budget that they put into this Um, directed by two guys Steven Cedars and Benji Kleeman, um, who I am not familiar with their prior work but yeah this was it was a hoot I had a blast with it and that is Snatchers and it is like $2.99 on Amazon right now
1: well, that horror comedy sounds like a howl.
0: Yes, it does.
1: Which is the perfect transition.
0: That was that was a beautiful transition. To our
1: guest, we ne- <laughs> I didn't either, I think I had to work so hard to make it happen. <laughs> it, it, it picked up on it a little easier, but you know, whatever. I'll let you throw.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, we're gonna go howl with our guest. Yeah. Okay, okay fine. Let's go to the guest. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome, Josh Rubin. <laughs> I am so excited to have our guest with us tonight. We had one hit to bring him on for his um, most recent film, Scare Me, and missed it. And so we are now getting him on for his brand new film that is coming out in just a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, you can you can give us the correct dates. Welcome to the show, Josh Rubin.
2: What's up? So glad to be here. Thank
0: you. My pleasure. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for joining us. So um, we had the... Uh, Fortunate opportunity to check out your new film last night and it is so funny. It is just so hilarious. Um, but yeah, I just, we wanted to talk to you after scare me came out and you guys did a screening of it at USC, yeah. um, where my day job is. I teach at USC and a whole bunch of my students had gone to see it and they came back into class the next day and they were so excited about telling me about it. And then I went home and immediately watched it that night. Oh. And, um, just cause my students had been so enthusiastic about it. So Thank you so much for joining us here. I'm
2: so happy to be here. I got a belly full of poke and a LaCroix. I feel truly Los Angeles right now, so...
0: Oh hell yeah, that is that is incredibly incredibly LA. Um, so yeah, so start by telling us a little bit about Werewolves Within and kind of how this one came to be. It's a lot bigger concept than Scare Me, and so I definitely want to hear about kind of the
2: production. Of
1: and it. I never I never knew about the video game, so this one, I watched your movie and then realized that there had been a video game. I was like, yeah, really? I make, There's, and then I, I, I looked make, look at the so graphics. I was like, that's I awesome. Mean, I,
2: I w- <laughs> walked into that project. I didn't. I hadn't heard of the game. I just thought Ubisoft Werewolves Within. Okay, it's Going to be the game about you know a medieval town and social you know a social deduction game you play with your with your headset, but um, it's about a, uh, a proposed pipeline that basically divides the residents of a small uh, sort of Amblin like town, um, and uh, they uh, once a blizzard hits they're all forced to sort of uh, hunker down at a local inn where um, resentments sort of boil over. And um a creature picks them off one by one in the dark. Uh and so it's sort of uh someone called it claws out, like knives out with a werewolf. That's yeah. kind of the easiest <laughs> way of maybe explaining yeah. it, although I, I wish I wish we were that um that skilled um as Mr. Johnson. But um it's it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely a ride.
1: It's uh, Agatha Christie in Northern Express. Yeah,
2: there you go. Way better. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. I like. That. That's what I. Can't, I was like, it feels very. I was thinking Twin Peaks, but with yeah. like a very kind of like mouse trappy vibe. Too. Yeah, there you go. Um, so that's awesome. So, where did you guys shoot this? Because it feels like an actual adorable little light, you know, dillic town.
2: The main street is actually a town called Phoenicia, New York. So I'll, I'll nerd out on a horror level with you guys, because um, <clears throat> that's why we do this. The town of Phoenicia, to my recollection, um, the most recent horror film, or the the last time I'd seen that town in a horror film, was Larry Fessenden's *Wendigo* with Patricia
0: Clarkson. Oh, hell yes!
2: Um, Were they yeah. also snowy? Yep. Yes. Oh,
0: great! Another great snow horror. Yes,
2: yes. Um, the little girl wandered into the hard the uh, pharmacy, Phoenicia Pharmacy, which no longer exists. Um, but, um, that's the main street where we shot, uh, Finn Wheeler played by Sam Richardson, this, the, the forest ranger and Milana Vine who plays Cecily, them kind of walking through this, the town of Beaverfield, meeting all the residents. So, um, main street was Phoenicia, but we mainly shot at the lodge, which is a real event space called Spillion in Fleischmann's New York, which is where Jim Jarmusch filmed the dead don't die. Oh, yeah, wow. so we we um we brought some more some more genre um some more genre love to the Hudson Valley with this one, which is really exciting.
0: So Yours was uh, quite a
2: self-referential. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you don't have a line where somebody talks about the script. Yeah,
0: so.
2: Correct.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: We're not too meta
2: in this one.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Now, was it actually snowing? I mean, the snow, this is a true snow horror, which Alric and I are both really big fans of snow horror, but the snow was what made it that they were trapped, that there was no way out, and that there was just this constant you know, kind of falling aesthetic through the entire film. Was it legit snowing or did you guys have to like bring in a ton of snow machines? If you've
2: seen the trailer, there's actually, we did capture some legit snowfall. Um, The opening shot, uh, at least one of the opening shots on the road where Sam and Milana are walking sort of shoulder to shoulder on a a windy road. That's real snowfall. Um, But most of the time we had to, even though it was February of 2020, um, right before, you know, the pandemic, um, we had to roll out snow blankets and we had a starch snow machine and a soap snow machine and they were loud and boxy. And, you know, you, you, you've you done a Christmas horror movie, you know, you know how it is. Um, we didn't get snow, but yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, well, you, you have basically the snow effect of it all. And then, to, you know, to transition your characters from an exterior to an interior location, we realized, you know, our, our wardrobe team actually realized or, did, you know, did the magic trick of sprinkling practical snow on their wardrobe and in their hair to actually make that transition work. But, you know, it's wild out there that weather is so volatile um, in that part of the Hudson Valley that, you know, some days you get heavy snowfall and three feet of snow, but then two days later it can be all melted. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we did have to deal with matching that inconsistency in post- but um, I think we netted out pretty good we were, we were we were like nitpicking like flake by flake. Luckily, I'd had a lot of experience with, you know, CGI weather and was able to, um, you know, really rake everyone over the coals. That's- how
1: how was so how was this adapted? Like how much leeway did you have creatively to make this, you know, your own because it has your sense of humor all over it and the kind of very fast paced jokes and rhythm of all the characters when they're all together. That's oh, all my favorite parts are where everyone's together yeah. and they're just all firing beat to beat comedy wise. But like, obviously that's quite different than whatever the game was. I I, I kind of have a vague recollection seeing some of the images of the game. I'm not sure if I ever played it, but like for you, how did you kind of make that your own?
2: Well, um, you know, the script was it's kind of wonderful. Ubisoft has a, a woman's film and television fellowship program that Mishna Wolf, the screenwriter <clears throat> had developed a script with ubisoft through Mm. and she was able to basically pick an ip that she felt she might have a tale for a story she picked werewolves within she thought with our political climate with um you know uh social change about and the like, there might actually be something interesting here. Um, uh, And I found it very personal. You know, I grew up again in in towns like these, predominantly white, resistant to change. Um, And uh, when you read the script, you don't think of that right off the bat. I thought of, you know, arachnophobia and um, Mm -hmm. Clue a little bit once I started to really read Mm -hmm. it. So you know, luckily Mishnah had a lot of freedom. And once I got my hands on it, I was able to do a director's rewrite or a director's pass, um, basically to punch up the dialogue and to sort of preemptively uh, create the scenes or sequences as shots. So almost reformat it so it was more digestible for my like dense director brain to kind of get ahead of the prep. Um, And Mm -hmm. uh, that that was majorly useful. And then, you know, when you have... 10 12 cast members that are as you know that are, that are comedic superheroes or acting superheroes the way that you know Michaela Watkins and Sarah burns and Sam and Milana are etc you just let them play jazz and you become the barometer for you know going too far not going far enough
1: was it important the, the thing I'm always fascinated by is um because just because I could never do it is acting on camera and directing at the same time, right? Like you didn't scare me, uh, which might also come out of necessity sometimes, right? Budgetary, your Budgetary, first time filmmaker, all yeah. those things, was <laughs> all the those things, right? Option, but you, yeah. <laughs> you made it great. Right. So that's cool. But did it, was it intentional on your part to go, I, I want to spend all the time behind the camera. I want to watch that, make sure I'm control conducting this one. Not, kind of murky muddy that uh, relationship yeah, I mean, or would you have
2: the, you know the, there was no real role that it made sense and i i i one of my pet peeves and I, I i tried to resist it best i could with this film and i think we succeeded pretty well is when you see a lot of 30 year old um contemporaries in a town that should have mm-hmm. Older people, younger people, people who were fit, people who are not as fit, people, you know, just like truly different faces and bodies and shapes and types and this and that. The other thing representative of what the real world is like. We tried to do that um, with this film. So, I, you know, I thought, A, there's no part that, that, that I could serve any better than someone who is is a way more successful sort of versatile actor than me. B, I just scratched the itch with Scare Me. I led a film. I, I, yep. I you know, I, and I really enjoyed that. Um, but uh, this was a major responsibility and an undertaking with something this kind of massive. It was my biggest gig to mm-hmm. date that I helmed solo. Um, <clears throat> it just felt appropriate. And I'm so glad that I did because it was. It was a hefty one to take on just me, but maybe in the future, you know, cameos or, or otherwise. But I think the the goal right now is to, you know, raise people up who may not have had the opportunity to play certain roles and cross-pollinate actors from certain worlds to uh, come to the genre, you know?
0: Now, which came first for you? Because you're a writer, a director, and an actor, like uh, chicken, egg, <laughs> like which one was first? And then how did the rest kind of come into fruition from that?
2: I, uh always wanted to act. I, I wanted to be RoboCop. I wanted to be Batman. I wanted to be- We all want to be RoboCop. Yeah. yeah I mean, RoboCop's just, universal. Or just, you know, it's Peter given. Weller.
1: Where's my mug? <laughs> yeah.
2: I wanted to be Peter Weller when I was a kid. Um, so, But I was, it was definitely acting first. I did a lot of theater. Um, and I I took classes from Lola Cohen, who was one of Strasbourg's last acting students and then went to a two-year acting training program where Paul Sills, George Morrison and Mike Nichols were my three instructors. Like I got to study and do masterclass. So I I really wanted to do the like black turtleneck, uh, do theater thing. I would have gone to DC. I would have gone to Chicago. I would have gone kind of anywhere and done the thing. Um, But, uh, but then when I, you know, hit the, hit the pavement as a, what was hopefully going to be a working actor and nothing happened. I decided to um, make videos with my friends and put them on the internet. And so we started a sketch group and that became, you know, self-producing, self-editing, editing, editing, uh, casting, kind of, you know, backdoor filmmaking. And that's how I learned how to be a director was just sort of reverse engineering a career. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> did Mike Nichols have any tips uh, for the filmmaking side, or did you never get to kind of share that he, side of your interest? He
2: had a um. We, so we would do these three hour acting. They were they were um. They were uh master classes we do with him. So we'd come in every Wednesday when he wasn't filming at the time. It was Angels in America, um, mm. <clears throat> and he it wasn't necessarily filmic because we would do scenes from everything from you know Jeffrey to Spike Heel and you know whatever else, and he would um he would always make you feel after you do your five, 10 minute scene, like, you know, like you were a contemporary to him. He would, he would like compare your acting problem or your talent to Jack or Merrill or, you know, any, any number of people, McLean any number of people that he'd worked with. So you felt like he made you feel like, like royalty, which is one of the beautiful thing about him. And I think I'm realizing were similar in a way that he, he used humor to disarm his actors. So if he was in an argument or a tense situation, he you know, one thing he would do or he had learned from someone is that when he was in a tense argument, he would just stop and drop his chin to his chest and go, oh. you know, like this, like <laughs> almost like a funny visual sort of beat. Like he would, he would say things like happiness is equilibrium, shift your weight. Um, and you know, you always felt like you read like a good book when he came out of his classes, but I think, I think the the most important things that I learned from him were never get caught trying to be funny. Um, and, um, and just say the words, like if you're caught up in trying to act out some, some shit, just say the words, like, like if you are, as you are sitting right there, just say the dialogue. That's, sometimes can be the absolute best thing as opposed to like making this performance of it. And he, he was just, he was a genius, man.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's probably one of the most underrated American directors because mm-hmm. he didn't do the same thing. Every movie's so different that he was hard to pitch. In. He's not like Peckinpah, where you go, oh, he's yeah. the Western guy. This guy yeah. made The Graduate, uh, who's afraid he of Virginia. Dipped Wolf into and...
2: horror with Michelle Pfeiffer. And, hey, and, I was gonna say yeah. and Wolf is Wolf is good.
1: Yeah. I was gonna say that's the thing you have in common. Yeah. He made a film yeah. called yeah. Wolf. Yeah. Yeah, so right. wow,
2: well, yeah. he made a werewolf film, Mike. We did it, and
1: it's yeah. Snow, werewolf and Snow. It has multiple mm-hmm. Snow scenes for memory. So. Oh
0: my gosh, I haven't seen Wolf in so long. I need to go back and rewatch pretty- it. but
1: your film could have used somebody peeing on something yeah no no territory. I don't think
0: I don't think you need pee scenes, <laughs> I
1: thought that scene that's you the good. best scene in
0: <laughs> yeah it is it's the most memorable by far so.
1: oh, but let's use that to jump back because like uh, we love finding out especially people who are you know until scare me you would have been known in the comedy world not we wouldn't have had a clue your love of horror so let's go to where does your love of horror start let's go to childhood or whenever it was what fucked you up?
2: Oh yeah. What made you
1: have to find the illicit movies? What, what was the, what was the thing? Well,
2: you know, I what grew up moment? in, in the era of, you know, Friday, the 13th movies and Freddie's nightmares and monsters and mm. tales from the dark side, the TV series and Friday, the 13th the TV series, all that yeah. shit being on cable. So <clears throat> I could, mm. I could, you know, channel surf and see all the best stuff. I think the one that fucked me up from the get go, if it wasn't monster squad, as much as I would rewatch it into the ground um I was terrified by that and Stephen King's Cat's Eye. Like monster squad mm-hmm. watching kids that looked like me and looked like my friends taking on these like entities, these like real creatures and 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 doing it successfully and and you know it's a miracle I didn't like try and fashion a crossbow. Um but I definitely covered myself in toilet paper trying to be a mummy. Um but uh it was it was that Can smattering we- of things.
0: Pause for 5 seconds to talk about that werewolf in Monster Squad no is joke. damn scary. Terrifying. And that transformation is fucking yep.
2: crazy. Yep, it's, it's, we don't talk about it enough. And the fact that that actor, who I keep forgetting to look up his name, that character actor who plays him, you, you can see the terror and the trauma and the pain of his uh-huh. pre-transformation transforming. And I've never seen a movie where he takes on uh, uh we're we're a a pre-transformed werewolf or a man who's about to transform literally like takes out a whole office of cops which was so that's yeah. my shit I just I thought wow this is what would really happen it was what would really happen if you know um mm-hmm. if it came about so anyway yes you're you're dead on it was
0: yeah it was such a, a fascinating inclusion too of the reluctant monster with all these other ones who were like, yeah, let's fuck up the shit. Him and Frankenstein yeah. were like the reluctant yeah. ones.
1: Yeah. Really. Which one's Tom Noonan and that? What did Tom Noonan play? He, he was Frankenstein. He's Frankenstein. Yeah, he's always good though. Yeah, that's he, it's easy for him. <laughs> uh, what <So> about cat's eye? Cat's eye. Yeah. Was it the Was it the Drew Barrymore? Oh story hell or? yeah!
2: I mean, I even I but okay. I was equally terrified. You no, know, we had cats, and so we look over at my cat Ruffles, and then look at the TV and see like the cat get like walking on the electrified floor and watching it, um, you know, kind of traveling and away from home and us not wanting that for our cat, but also like James Woods, RIP in many ways, um, like looking through his house and, you know, like seeing the boots feeling like he's being stalked, the weird dream sequences, even the mob storyline with Robert Hayes weird as it was, it had a weird permeating dread, but to button that thing with like, a story with a little girl who was just about my age with a thing in her bedroom that would try and stop her breath and how effective that imagery was, um, at least at the time, that really got me. And I, there, I, there was no way there wasn't a thing in, in you know, in my um, in the, a mouse hole in my bedroom. Um, it was mm-hmm. it was that was really stunning.
1: Now, is, is your werewolf thing like a weird fetish because <laughs> scare me? as lots of werewolf references. I think it looks, it's it kind of suits your look in that movie. But, uh, yeah. uh, and then to, and, <laughs> and then to follow through with this, was there for you were werewolf films at all a thing? Did you, ever, I mean, obviously we all like all, all the monsters, but some people really gravitate towards one of the kind of classic monsters more than others, but I'm not I'll sure say in your case.
2: Werewolves were the one that I wasn't easily scared. I watched hammer films. You know, I watched the Christopher mm-hmm. Lee vampire films. I watched again, You know, films like Monster Squad and Cat's Eye and Creature Features. And Freddy Krueger was like a cartoon character to me. But werewolves were always the one that felt a bit... um they were a a bit too edgy, a bit too traumatizing a bit. They were too scary because it almost felt it, it almost felt uh, realistic. It felt like a thing that could really happen. I'd seen, Mm -hmm. you know, um, people rage out or, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. it just felt like, you know, Hey, that there could be werewolves within people. Um, Like I like, it just felt like something that was quite tangible and you could believe that um, mythology. So werewolves uh silver silver bullet i think was beyond monster squad one that really freaked me out because it also seemed like what would really happen if you had to take on this thing in your town and no one believed you or with your no one believed you except your drunkle you know um, yeah and he is he is in drunkle so good yeah great. i mean that was that was yeah it was killer it was awesome
1: I that's actually I think that's my favorite werewolf film. Like as a personal favorite. It's the one yeah. I just every time I see it, I'm like, this is a really fun movie. Is that
2: Everett
0: McGill?
1: Everett McGill as yeah. the preacher okay. is really yeah. disturbing yeah. in the film. Uh, so yeah. You know, really scary. Yeah, and again, it's children in peril always work, right? When children are the leads in these movies, it's I think particularly scary. Um but but the other thing, like the other one you're just talking about, it could happen. I feel like American Werewolf is a big reason a lot of us feel that way because that transformation didn't hide it in darkness Mm, that transformation he's going through it in in bright light and he's in utter agony pain like you see the breaking the bones and and he's a very likable funny Mm. character so all those things together and then you see the werewolf i hadn't seen it in a long time watched it not long ago. And it's terrifying. Like when he's a wolf, it's actually terrifying because he's just a savage wolf. Mm. There's not no humanity at all. He's not on two legs, you know, running around. He's always on all fours. He's a wolf. Mm-hmm. And so I think that movie, maybe for our generation, sold us all on what werewolves could be and why they're actually scary mm-hmm. and disturbing. Unlike vampires, which are romantic and you know, they're all, they're all, they all have different traits, but
0: it's I, very I was just true. curious. Yeah. yeah. Ro- vampires always have kind of a bougie thing that goes with them until bit, the yeah. eight- and then when they get a little bit more gutter punk, but vampires are usually kind of you know brandy swirling bougie vampires. Yeah. But yeah. Werewolves, it's it's you get some variety. But Elric mentioned something that brought up a question I have is the transformation scene. Hmm. So the transformation scene, it's kind of for lack of a better way of phrasing it, like the money shot for werewolf mm-hmm. movies. Like you have to have it. It's got to be kind of epic. It has you have to think about how you're going to craft mm-hmm. it out. And you had a great one. Um. So I would love to hear about kind of like how you went about crafting that out, what's practical, what's CG and kind of how you married the two together.
1: Without any spoilers. Okay. Without, With no without spoilers, any spoilers
0: about who is doing the transforming. Let's just say at some point we see a transformation. Talk a little bit about what you knew you wanted to see. Like what parts of that, like in American werewolf in London, it's all about like the hair growing and the, mm. the feet getting long and things like that. Like, <laughs>
1: Like, the howling well, is all yeah. about. What are those bubble effects they put under? the skin? Yeah, oh, right. Or bubble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where you like, have balloons. They're little balloons, right? They look and like they hematoma
0: is yeah. coming up yeah. under the skin. Um, that's yeah. really
1: disturbing when you're a kid. That one, I think, is the mo- more disturbing as a kid because it's so just out there. But now it's almost comical, but still kind of the performance by Picardo is so good that you you believe. Yeah, in my
2: god.
0: Any of the ones where they have the jaws elongating? Are yeah. Ones
2: oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's good.
0: oh, that's weird. But like when you were talking and guiding the the special effects folks, like what were you like this is what i need to well, see well my
2: priority as far as the full uh, the full monty was that i wanted the performance to come through i wanted emotionality to come through i love bad moon i love late phases even i love yeah, um, I you know i love i love silver bullet but you you can't really see emotion um, through mm-hmm. those characters i would i would take wolf and 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 at least before he became a dog um, you know, uh, before I would take, uh, at least, you know, in this iteration, so- something that was just like, like hulking because we've sort of seen it before. So I didn't want to hide my performer. So that was, that was sort of priority. As far as the, um, the transformation goes, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of time and we didn't have, um, a practical effects supervisor that could build us sort of a double of our actor, let's say. So, you know, when, um, this character is like throwing their hand to the ground um, without giving anything away. And there are sort of nails beginning to form on that hand. I actually was the one who saw on, on the, um, on the monitor, Ooh, I got an idea. And I ran around and started pulling up their sleeve off camera so that it looked as if their arm was lengthening. Um, It was like, you know, (laughs) in-camera effects. And also too, um, a lot of sort of, you know, body work. Uh, I was, you know, having this accent, you know, like really, you know, do your kind of drop shoulder bone break sort of a thing. And let's just do it with sound design and shoot it in a certain way. And it actually is very effective. And then, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to hone in your visual effects on things like the eyes, which are super, super effective and important. Um, that's, uh, that's what drove it home. And then color too, you want to make sure that the, you give the skin a nice kind of organic finish and and the light hits it in a certain kind of, you know, um, uh, a lustery way. And then uh, so it feels alive. And then, uh, yeah, you cross your fingers. But
1: um, we'll it's see. Still a better move than letting it just be a CG. You know, better to be unseen a lot mm-hmm. of things than just when yeah. I think there was a TV show that had this beautiful... Move, what was it? There was that Eli Roth produced TV show that was back in the oh, Hemlock Grove. Oh, it was oh, Grove.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, it did, and that was, that was it everybody's did have one, complaint.
1: Yeah, it did have one amazing transformation, but so much of it was CG-driven yep. that after that, that you just, it's very hard to concentrate and keep looking at something like that, yeah. you know, because it's just so other yeah. for us, but... Uh, but yeah, no, you, you did a great job, and we won't we won't say more. Than that. <laughs> I mean, it's also uh, funny because two of the best movies I feel in the last year have both had snow and werewolves. Because yeah. Jim's movie was also great, yeah. but but thankfully, I felt because I was a little worried about that because I like that movie so much. They're so different. They're as so soon as so, as yeah. five minutes in, I was like, okay, cool, totally different movie, yeah. almost different genre mm-hmm. in a lot of yeah, ways.
2: Um, yeah, I, like Wolf of Snow Hall is so Hollow, it's kind of it's wild because he made like somewhere between like an. Art film and a adventure film, you know, yeah, it right? Feels
1: like Zodiac at the it, end. It right? feels like, like
0: Zodiac. Yeah. It goes full like yeah. Zodiac at the end. So yeah, it's a completely different subgenre. This for me fell more into like um, I'll say the weird little town category of like mm. Tremors or Arachnophobia mm. or even Demon Night, where it's like this uh, whole collective you're of my people. Language. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that and that's immediately what I thought of when it was Demon Night. Like when you look at the weird people and kind of the enclave of just this pastitious society that's holed Mm -hmm. up at the hotel in that. That's literally how this felt. Which brings me to my next question is talk a little bit about working with, as you said, I mean, these are like, you know, kings and queens of comedy here. We've definitely got people who are really well vetted I, I spent a lot of time on imdb during this movie going where do i know that person from and, and yeah. so much so that i was like oh my god it's the girl from the sprint commercial and like it was mm-hmm. um killing me um to get that far with it and so just like every single person has some type of iconic um comedy backing a lot of times her comedies are difficult to begin mm-hmm. with um and i i would love to talk about that next, but kind of when you get a whole bunch of comedians into a room, it's always hard to kind of keep them from kind of trying to one up each other. Um, or more of kind of like letting the personalities become overwhelming. So I'd love to hear you talk about like how you kept it kind of, It it simmers. It's, -hmm. it, it has its like screwball moments, but it simmers through the entire thing. So how you kind of like were able to maintain the comedic timing, the personalities, um, Oh, gosh, his name's going to escape me. Uh, the gentleman who is also in um, What We Do in the oh, Shadows. Oh, Harvey Guillen. Yeah. Harvey Guillen, thank you. Um, so, yeah, most uh, our listeners, I'm sure, will know him as Guillermo from um, What We Do in the Shadows. Like <laughs> he was just this beautiful unsung hero in the movie, mm-hmm. um, which just just I'd love to hear you talk about working with him and the comedic timing of it all.
2: Well, you know, so much of my job was. Communication. So the first thing is you're talking to all 12 actors and you're saying, How my very first thing is well, to explain to them you're going to be taken care of. I've only done one movie, but I've been doing this for a long time. Um, and introducing some communication about tone and what you're going for. And what I would say is don't be freaked out by the title, even though it's Werewolves Within and that's a wacky one and you're up on your heels and you might be nervous about, you know, is this going to be the right choice? What I want to do is make Fargo, if it were in the Amblin universe and people Mm kind of go, Oh, okay. Well, how are you going to do that? As actors should and will challenge you and producers should and will challenge you and say, well, I will never uh, get caught or let you get caught trying to be funny. So I pull on my mic of it all. Um, And then it becomes about, you know, especially for those big scenes making sure everyone understands who they are and where they're coming from. It's that old acting school stuff. Like, you know, here's here's what you want, here's what you're resentful of and what your kind of goal is. Um, and just kind of let them play. And you don't want to do too much because these actors have worked with Spielberg, the Cohen brothers on HBO, you know, AT&T spot. I mean, they're, they're, they're super pros. So when you give them AT&T. enough kind of, you know, communication, they... Um, they will find the camera. They will find their marks. They will figure it out. Um, and uh, and and so then it becomes about like, hey, you know, Harvey, great improv there. Let's pull it back. We might, you know, might might not be able to fit that joke there. Um, let's uh, let's add this, subtract this. You know, blow it out here. More physical comedy, whatever. Um, my, the whole thing was. You know, um, being kind of a barometer and making a decision. If they take it too far, you say, pull it back or a little bit or, you know, there's there's kind of not enough. And tonally, again, you know, how do you balance horror and comedy? It's again, it's it's playing emotional stakes for real. It's saying you can be as big as you want within the confines of this reality. The reality is this. Your personality is, you know, this is a real human being you're playing. But these circumstances are wackadoo um, and uh, just don't get caught trying to make this joke work. Um, and none of them do. They all play it for yeah. real. They're all fantastic actors.
0: Have you found that horror comedies are kind of a hard sell as you've not with this one in particular, but like, I assume you've shopped a couple around and things mm-hmm. like that. Horror comedy in, in most of the places that I've talked with, Shudder is, is definitely a bit more open to it, but I've, I've definitely encountered a couple companies that are very much like we don't do horror comedy
2: it's so funny because you know every horror has a comedic kind of an element to it it's just right um, and it is possible but i i understand the reluctance because you actually you have to if you're not spectacularly sensitive to what is funny your actor better be um, and then your editor better be. And, and, and it is tricky because they're, what, I, what I would imagine their fear is, is if you want to make a quiet place, but funny, is you better make those moments when they are all together, um, you know, uh, somehow truthful and hitting and matching of the kind of terror, terror, terrorizing moments. I would love to do um, true horror comedies. I mean, I think, you know, Jordan Peele is the one who's really succeeding at it. Yeah, e- even us, and he would be the first one to say, "Us is a horror movie through and through." Well, well, yeah, but there, it it is. Its DNA is is its humor, and and it's all played for real with Tim Heidegger's character and Moss, and you know the way the kids are. Yeah, I family. Mean, the whole family, yeah. it's it, yeah. and it's genius, and it succeeds, and it's because it's played for real. You know, And
0: Elric, I remember seeing that in the theater and there were laughs throughout that. There were laughs during yeah. their death scene too because of the Beast yeah. Boy song playing. I yeah. mean, like the, he, yeah, knew, yeah. What he, he was knew what doing. he was doing. And the, all the scenes with the boat, I mean, the, the humor is there. You have to have that light side to make the dark side darker. And so the humor is there whether it's a true horror film or not. And that's the case. Like even most Friday the 13th movies have humor built in in some capacity before it gets to the horror.
2: Yeah, as far as selling stuff around, you know, I haven't I haven't been able to take too much stuff around beyond beyond stuff to shutter, which is wonderful. Like those guys are so filmmaker mm. forward. And But I do think um, I think that if you're able to kind of pave a path, which I'm trying to do, you know, you can at least say, look, at least now here's a comp. You know, you've got people yeah. like Peel. Krasinski almost doesn't count because he's sort of he's, even though he comes from comedy, he's sort of, you know, eking it out. But Lee Winnell, you know, um oh, yeah. is a brilliant example. Look at Insidious. It's it's laden with it. Um and uh, Invisible Man, though it's you know, well far more grim upgrade. I mean genre upgrade, films. Upgrade, had hum- a, lot of humor. upgrade a lot of humor. Such good yeah, humor That's a brilliant yeah, example. It's not you know, not yeah. traditionally hard. but anyway, you kinda get the idea. It's again it's you how you need your anchors you need your anchor performers to to uh to draw you in and from an emotional perspective and and then you're you know then you're golden yeah.
1: yeah it's a hard thing to balance to to change tones and scare people before making them laugh but obviously the two when in a good horror movie they they should have that i think a lot of movies take themselves too serious i love serious art house horror but i don't like a film when it's taking itself seriously and you could and usually it's such a subtle difference right mm-hmm. it's like you can watch hereditary and hereditary is actually really funny like yeah. and and we know his follow up midsummer basically is a comedy you know with really grim set pieces is so- hysterical
2: that's the thing <laughs> yeah. you know he, he might be yeah. like you know K- kubrick laser focus but that's part of what yeah, yeah. kubrick laser focus is he's like well i'm working I'm to nail this tone here or to or to get you to play this right um but that same film
1: without those moments you're like it doesn't probably work you don't feel it you know
0: i watched this interview with or it may have been a podcast i can't even remember but it was an interview with ari aster where the interviewer specifically said did you add in the woman pushing his butt during the weird sex scene as humor because again i remember seeing that in the theater with elric and the whole audience like lost their shit during that like that was just next level
1: because we all Um, want it (laughs) <laughs> we, uh, we, we want to feel that at some point in our life have somebody yeah. just we'll gently help gently you out just daughter. weird
0: just weird <laughs> yes, do you do know. The support there a little cheek Are lip um but and his response was very much like a no like I, I wanted it to be creepy but at the same time like it's it's fucking hilarious oh, it's so like i think hysterical. That there's such a thin line between that so i find it i i think he probably understands that you know the creepy kind of translates into absurdity at very quickly.
1: Well, what's that line? I mean, that line in Hereditary where the mom says she doesn't like, I can't remember, she says something about the son, like I never wanted you or something. And it's the funniest Mm -hmm. thing. And it's also the most shockingly disturbing thing you've ever seen come out of a mother's mouth. And I remember going, wow, there's something really there. And again, that's the actress too, right? You have this incredible comedic actress. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's a dance, right? But, 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 you know, you did it well in this one. It had a lot, this had a lot like scare me. I think you always, I know what kind of movie that was from frame one. So I knew, I didn't know where it was going to go, but I knew, Oh, okay. It's going to have these kind of eerie moments, but it's going to always be funny. And it's always about storytelling with this one. I really didn't know going into it. And so I was actually kind of surprised when it could get a scare out of me or something, you know, that was, it was, it was a lot of fun in that sense. I would love
0: to jump to scare me for a sec. And I would love to hear about how you kind of stylistically approach that because The coverage and how it stays interesting, I mean, usually when you have two people in a room, it's the battle of, well, what do you point the camera at? I've pointed the camera at you and I pointed the camera at you. I guess I'll go back to you. And so you run out of kind of coverage options really, really quickly. Um, But that one, it just feels like it's constantly moving and the performances are constantly giving you something new to look at. Um, So how did you kind of approach that one aesthetically? Um,
2: I mean, you know, being terrified helped knowing that we were going to be contained and that um, I hadn't done it before uh, to that degree. So um, my cinematographer, my co-producer, Brendan Banks, we we shot listed the entire movie. I acted it out um, before we knew what the location was and sort of talked about the idea of shots. And then once we had the location, we spent two days plus the tech scout, plus a rehearsal in there, mapping the whole thing out, taking photos Um, actually once we, once we officially got in there and scouted, we had blueprints of the, of the cabin where we could then do overheads. Um, and that was extremely helpful too. But I, I went through and kind of I knew that I wanted the shots to be tempered. I knew that I wanted her to mostly feel taller than him. And so that's bringing your camera down, um, and, you know, above the eyebrow for, um, for certain moments or, you know, low enough from her perspective that giving him a lot of headroom, making him feel small. It's all about this character who feels small, feels emasculated in the, in the, um, the face of this woman's genius, uh, and talent. Um, and, uh, I I think there was just kind of something about the amount of time that I spent with it and knowing emotionally what Fred was going through and what she was, where I could just, you know, like we all have to do as filmmakers, you have to feel the movie and feel emotionally what's happening. And so I, I try to just kind of tune into what they're both kind of going going through emotionally and what I'm trying to um, to elicit. And then and then too, you have this other factor of shadow work. You know, where how how are we gonna show that without, you know, making it look like we're making the shot all about it, where it can just kind of appear. But I, I, I love um, with that film specifically, I, I drew a lot on my fanship of Yorgos Lanthimos. I love killing of a sacred mm. deer dog tooth. And, and um, I thought, uh, you know, his work specifically holding on shots and then suddenly panning slowly left and finding some, something new to look at and then slowly coming back, for example, um, that stuff that, that just puts you on your toes and makes you feel sort of immense dread, but can also be a mm-hmm. terrific conduit for humor and for visual jokes. Um, so yeah, we just, we just kind of, we did our due diligence and, and, uh, mapped it out. Um, I think probably harder than anything I mapped out, uh, before, because I was going to be on camera. I wanted to get on set and then basically walk people through the day, then get in the makeup chair and then be a good partner to Aya and Chris. Mm-hmm.
1: I, l- I also like that you slipped in like expressionism here and there, like where, you know, that really made it feel like there's more style than there might have actually been because of the stories. Right. Yeah. And the and the backlit light and the and the flashlights, you know, it's just it, it had a really nice effect in that way. Yeah. I think it reminds us of being kids, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. And the cabin was lovely. It made me want to go to Idlewild. Where did you was that one shot nearby?
2: It was Woodstock, New York. It wasn't. wasn't
0: oh, OK. We shot werewolves. Yeah. Oh, wow. Very cool. So you, cool. you know the New York area well yeah. now. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Um, the last thing I want to – well, one thing I want to definitely touch on was uh, you had a similar – from what I read, like a similar, oh, I got to just do it moment. Like I remember hearing Mark Duplass's speech back at South, South by one of his keynotes where he said there's no yeah. cavalry. And for me, that was like a real – red flag like oh no one's gonna come find me now right that has never gonna happen i will have to do it so that for me was one of those moments and i've always kind of recounted that but i read that you also had you know been inspired by reading their book but for you i'm I'm more curious like for other indie you know up and coming people trying to like make that jump who are like waiting in development to just go and do it how what's your advice from your experience on the, on the first movie and uh, into the second.
2: Uh, you really got to know you're saying something. Make something knowing that you are saying something and what you're saying. So just like having that unflinching vision because that is part of the how you'll charm talented crew members and cast folk to come make the thing with you. Well, I can't not come aboard and help you tell this story. Like for me... It was sort of you know we shot it at the kind of height of the me too movement i wrote it angry i wrote that i wrote that movie angry um and angry about the people i knew in my life that were like fred angry at the part of myself that was like this person angry at the stars that had fallen you know the kevin spacey's and and the like um and disease and shit. i, I was just like okay i i'm gonna go after this type of person but also make a movie about um, a very specific thing, which is how I talk to myself when I'm alone, the, 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 how I want to create a vehicle um, or rather that I want to create a vehicle for an actress, something that she wouldn't have necessarily had the chance to do. I wanted to go to Aya and say, here's something, you know, that's really going to showcase what you could do. And that was, you know, really, Mm -hmm. really fun for her and Chris and and, and Becky. Um, But for a first time filmmaker, know what you want to say and work with people that that trust you and that you trust find your find your weirdos find your troop and just like make the thing borrow a camera you know i know it's trodden to hear the iphone thing i haven't shot on an iphone yet um but soderbergh does it so you could you could try that without all the, you know, extra software and lenses and all the expensive accoutrements. You can still do something like that, but just to experiment and try stuff out, but know your vision, know what you're going to say. And then like, be nice to everyone. Know your shit, shake hands, know everybody's Mm -hmm. names, you know? Nice
0: on the iphone thing like i i during the pandemic all of my usc students had to transition because we had no longer had access mm-hmm. to all the fancy camera mm-hmm. equipment that usc has they've all been shooting on their iPhones for the last year for the most part some of them had like slightly fancier canon rebels and things mm-hmm. like that but even still like really consumer grade cameras and all of those projects that they made during the pandemic are now getting into like Sundance and Droid. Wow,
2: so yes. um,
0: you do not have to have like fancy freaking Reds and Alexas. To make something That's what I love to hear. That's amazing. Anything.
2: That's amazing.
1: There's yeah. a good indie that just hit Arrow um, called Threshold that I saw during one of the last festivals. It's from this year's festival run, and it's made on two iPhones, I believe. And it's a road trip movie with a brother and sister horror film. And it's really good. So and it just totally stripped down. And you could tell they're making it to make it, but like if it wins you over, it wins you over. It didn't yep. matter how that story was amazing. told. You know? It's very That's cool. I love that. So uh well, we're well, excited.
0: I think we need to keep you around for our deep cut this week. Um, just because. Oh, yeah.
1: You know, Let, let's I know you you're the a fan, but, but hold before on. We
0: before, we before we go to the deep cut, when is Werewolves Within coming out, and where can everybody see it?
2: Well, we're going to Tribeca this time next week, June, 20, uh, <laughs> June 16th. So June 16th, we debut at Tribeca, and then uh, June 25th, we're in theaters, and we're on VOD July 2nd.
0: Awesome. Okay. So you guys can find it. Definitely check it out. It was just an absolute, um, it was just a breath of fresh air, the comedy mixing in there. Um, So with that, Let's head to our deep cut. So it has been a couple of weeks since Elric and I have done a deep cut on the regular show because we have been counting down our favorite '80s films in varying capacities. Um, so we are excited to get back to a deep cut and a movie cut tonight, or a movie fight tonight. But we will start with our deep cut, Elric. What well, is our deep cut for the night? Ke-
1: we're keeping you here because we already know you like this one. So let's yeah. talk about. Let's talk about um, Mixing Sex and uh, Werewolf Carnage with Bad Moon from 1996 yeah. by director and writer Eric Redd. Uh, you tell us what your th- feelings are for us because, you know, you, we picked it so we know we liked it. So,
2: <laughs> Oh, I, this was the first film I showed my cinematographer when I made uh, Werewolves Within or when we were in prep. I said, I love the way this film photographs, these anamorphics mm-hmm. and this um, – this, uh, this lensing, um, this aspect ratio, and he got it right away. the The film looks beautiful. It makes makes the, yeah. the world is just so big, and for for a long stretch, it's it's pretty it's pretty dreadful. And I really like the story. I like that this is a brother sister story and a sing about a single mom. There's some cheesy stuff in it, but I I love the werewolf effects. I love that this guy, you know, his torture. That he's like, I'm gonna go out in the middle of the woods and, and cuff myself to this tree to prevent myself from revealing this thing and that it kinda of takes over him. It's 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 a cool psychological thriller, like, you know, for the most part. But uh, yeah, it definitely opens with tits and a shotgun to the head, so.
1: Yeah and it's so extreme that opening and the tra- it's one of my favorite attack scenes because it's the way the werewolf manipulates a human body with absolute ease and kind of just tears it apart that you you just totally feel it like and the it size looks
0: great in it. Yeah, yeah,
1: it really the werewolf's great yeah. looking but no becca becca always texted me straight away it's also kind of a lifetime movie and then i'm watching it, it again Going, yeah no it's totally a lifetime plot It's
0: totally a lifetime movie because the way because i did a lifetime movie a couple of years or i actually wrote another one um during the pandemic but um the way that, that you always structure the lifetime movies is you have to you let the audience know who the killer is in the cold open it's very much like the stepfather where like yeah. you know who the killer is in the cold open or hand that rocks the cradle or anything like that. Like, you know who your antagonist is and then you spend the rest of the movie trying to get everyone else in the script to know Uh... that they're evil as well. And so this is structured the exact same way. So as I was watching it, I I texted Ulrich and I was like, it's structured just like a Lifetime movie where the exact beats were hitting of like, oh, well now this person has died. She thinks it's related to her brother, but she does not know yet. But what Uh I realized rewatching this that I'd never picked up before is that he, for me, this took on new meeting this time because it was werewolf. It was like anthropy, but it was almost played like an addiction. Like he mm-hmm. felt more like a drug addict to me this time where he is living out in the middle of nowhere in a trailer. He's trying to like handcuff him down to Fight this thing from happening he stays away from all of his loved ones because of it he finally gets back home and is scared to tell anybody um, it just it really did you know he's moving around a lot and he talks about how he's never really had a steady job like it just mm. really felt more like it was playing it more like an, an addiction or or alcoholism um, this round and it, it was much more about the personal struggle and that badass dog I wanted yeah. to do one to thing lifetime
1: movies don't have is a dog called Thor <laughs> those costs <laughs> It's a lot
0: a, you want animals cost well, you a know lot. it's based okay. on a
2: short story called thor <clears throat> that's it yeah from
1: his perspective right yeah
2: yeah which didn't have a werewolf something. by the way i think they were just like let's oh, just take oh, i don't think it i don't think it did um i could be mistaken but yeah they were like oh that but that, that dog story is cool let's add a uh, lycanthropy there
0: but again yeah, cool, good stars uh, yeah Yeah, there were some cool dog POV shots in this. Um, Not quite as many as we see in, like, The Hills Have Eyes 2, um, where the first half of the movie... The first half of the movie is the dog's flashback, but um, it still did have some cool, like, dog POV stuff. But But I
1: do love the mano mano thing between the dog and the wolf and, and him... Like, you know, he, you know, he's peed on his trailer and he comes out in a human form and smells the pee and knows the dog's marked his territory. And later the payoff to that scene is hilarious to me yeah. where he takes care of the dog. I won't even run it for people. And it's Michael Parry. So it's like the Mariel Hemingway and Michael Parry actually make really good brother and sister. Yeah. I
0: yeah. um, and she, I liked her as a lawyer. She's a yeah. single, a single mom lawyer. Um, And so, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah. She was- very great in it.
1: I, this is um, one of those ones. If people haven't seen it, they're in for a treat because it, mm-hmm. it's on the it's on the level of something like a silver bullet. And I, but a lot less people have seen this movie. So if you haven't seen it, you're kind of in for a treat. Because and the
0: werewolf is beautiful. It really like is. a couple of years ago, I can't even remember which podcast it was, but we kind of ranked like the best looking werewolves or the werewolf transformation scenes or something like that. And I remember this being like in the top yeah. three for most. Yeah, it's um, killer. it's just it's a so beautiful. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um so this is from 1996. It is currently available on Amazon for I think I paid 2.99 for I think it.
1: it's um, free if you watch it oh, with ads. I think you. I watched if, it with ads. Yeah,
0: I it through IMDb I did watch it with is ads Is it on Shudder too?
2: I, I think I think it is or was it? It, oh, it did
0: not pop up on my Amazon Prime through Shutter. Oh, I did when I typed it in on Amazon Prime because I looked and I saw it on Shutter on the app. Yeah. But when I went through Amazon Prime, it came up that I would have to watch it yeah, through IMDb, which was okay. You just got like a commercial every time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah, too bad. That's, that's, but yeah, I think fun. if you run the Shutter app, I think you can get it uh, through there that you right
2: go. now. Yeah, wonderful. Well, th-
1: thanks for staying with us for oh, bad news, gosh, man. My that's my awesome. Pleasure. <laughs> I'm so
2: glad uh, we're talking about one of my faves. Yeah, well,
1: thanks for
0: joining us.
2: Thanks so much, Josh. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. This was so fun.
0: Well, Elric, you know what time it is now.
1: I believe it is Movie Fight.
0: Movie Fight.
1: Movie Fight. SummerSlam edition. (laughs) Even though it's only the start of summer, but just in case. Just in case we don't get to do it again in summer, let's do it right now.
2: Right uh, now!
1: Yes, um. so we, we, I didn't realize these were all 90s until we started recording. The <laughs> all 90s, our Deep Cuts 90s werewolf movie. Now get ready. For a couple that are so perfect for a movie fight. This might be the best movie fight we've done because I they both are agree. like similar things, but totally different.
0: And uh, only tell two us. years apart. So from 1993, we have Full Eclipse, and it is going up against from 1995, Project Metal Beast.
1: So why don't you introduce what we won't compare them yet, but you tell us a little bit about Metal Beast. And I'll jump in as needed, and then I'll tell them a little bit about Full Eclipse, and then we'll see how these things we'll line fight. up. Because I think both okay. of these are pretty lesser known. They're both kind of deep cutting.
0: Yeah. So Project Metal Beast is one that I had recalled from my youth um, or more of my college years, and was suddenly like, oh, we should totally revisit this. The concept of it is that scientists inject soldiers with werewolf blood, like you do in hopes of creating a super soldier. They don't. They all go berserk and it's crazy and they all start killing each other, except one who the scientists decide to cryogenically freeze like you do. I don't understand the motivations that happen throughout most of this movie, but we're going with it. So we now have one cryogenically frozen werewolf soldier. They thaw him out like 20 years later, and then they say, hey, what can we do to even soup up this cryogenically frozen werewolf soldier even more? Let's give him badass metal skin so he's completely impervious.
1: Well, and I think he – so the guy who's doing this is lying to the scientist. He tells the – Kim Delaney that it's to help create some sort of skin, not cancer, but some sort of skin thing disorder it's like that a skin they're going to cure. yeah, yeah They're going to help people with it. So that's why the scientists are doing it. They have no idea uh, that this is a werewolf, which is the fun part. And then when they take out the silver bullets, that's when shit hits the fan. Uh, so, because yeah. I guess that frees him to go. They take out
0: the silver bullets, and then suddenly he is able to break out of his restraint, and now superhuman soldier werewolf with metal impervious skin is loose in their science facility, yes. and shit gets crazy. Yeah, and, and, we, so, and we'll talk um, about
1: who plays some of the roles when we do the comparisons because they could they could weigh in here. So that's yes. Project Metal Beast by some guy, Alessandro DiGitano. I didn't, haven't heard of him from 95. I
0: hadn't heard of him before either him. before. Okay.
1: I hadn't seen either of these movies, so this was a good time for me. So this is like both new. Okay. It brings us to Full Eclipse, uh, directed by Anthony Hickox, who we all love from Waxworks and Hellraiser 3, already a sign of quality. Uh, this mm-hmm. was a Ryan Turek. To the Matt recommendation. I believe he recommended this on at least three different episodes. He did at it least. on a, at least, definitely a live show. And I remember sitting there going, oh, I'm never going to watch that movie. <laughs> and then here I am watching it uh, and having a good time. So this is. Uh- a a person who should be a much bigger star in my I still to this day don't understand how Mario Van Peebles isn't Peebles the biggest is star amazing. ever. Yeah, he's he's like ridiculously attractive. He's really cool. He's smart. He directs movies. He acts in movies, and yet he's still not really that well known now. Um. Anyway, he uh is part of this uh L.A. Police Department. Uh, him and his partner uh are kind of going out. Uh, on a there's a you know there's a shooting. Something happens to his partner. Uh, we start to. Basically, his partner returns. He thinks his partner's died. He mourns the loss of his partner, and suddenly his partner's back saying yeah I'm fine it was no big deal and you're like what and we start to go oh maybe there's something going on with his partner like we obviously know there's the titles full of clips there's some sort of uh wolf type thing going on and then we meet the super secret group of cops who have uh carte blanche to be like a their secret SWAT and They're like
0: vigilante st- taking out like yeah. nighttime street justice yeah they like, can uh- do
1: whatever they want Patsy it's one of them which is ridiculous uh Bruce Payne's the main guy he's really good in it as the as the villain uh or villain or, or hero, depending on your at the start. Anyway, they and this is my favorite my favorite part. They're microdosing, which I love. Microdosing uh, werewolf <laughs> blood, uh, and they are all literally becoming police, kind of like what the joke of wolf cop is, right? They're kind of becoming wolf cops, but they're wolf like cops. more like a more like a super X Men type team, right?
0: But In they're microdosing Sean... because they they know that if they take too much of it, they will literally become deformed and kind of go crazy. Like you have to really. Pay pace yourself with it but at the same time they're gaining power they're gaining it's basically like being on roids they're getting yeah. more aggressive they can't control it as much and they keep taking more and more and more um and, even and Mario doesn't even want to do it concepts. like
1: right yeah. he's kind of tricked into it by having sex with Patsy Gensert which is one of the more ludicrous sex scenes <laughs> the weirdest uh, one where she actually turns kind of wolfie but okay so those are your two your two lineups that well, Hold I you love missed-
0: you miss the, my favorite part, is that the lead werewolf, they are microdosing the werewolf blood, uh-huh. but that um, Garu, the main werewolf, is extracting it from his brain with a syringe, which yeah. was just one of the greatest moments to walk in Yeah, on. and
1: you see some, and I won't ruin it, but you see some of his past. You learn a little bit about his past, which is pretty epic. Um, but yeah, so what I like about these two, which I didn't know when we picked them to go up again, is that they both do have this experimental... Uh, thing they both are about injecting werewolf blood which is kind of a which was a very fun surprise Uh, all right let's get down to it pluses for metal beast
0: okay so metal beast i would say both of these have science fictiony werewolf bends to them metal beast definitely pushes it further metal beast pushes the science of it um and says you know well what what could we do with werewolves in the future Ooh, super soldiers metal super soldiers so there's a lot going on there plus it has barry bostwick How yeah i write big
1: bold i says barry bostwick factor is always going to be huge uh, metal beast is probably one of the best titles in the history of cinema right like i don't think you could get I, I don't i think the word project is wasted on it get rid of the word project this movie should just be metal beast we don't need a project um The last 10 minutes is fantastic, or maybe 15, but the last 15 minutes, it really comes to life. You get Kane Hodder, which was a surprise, Mm -hmm. as the Metal Beast, so that's really good. Uh, That said, negative, saggy as fuck in the middle. Oh
0: my God. such
1: poor science and long, drawn-out medical things and conversations.
0: Yeah, I was in for the, holy shit, we're making Super Soldier Werewolves, which was literally like the first 10 minutes, and then nothing happens except science up until the last 15 when the metal and beast
1: and then it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then so it's, it's great.
0: It's... But midway through, I have to admit, I did fall asleep once and I woke up on the couch and was like, Oh, they're still doing science stuff. <laughs> yeah, I didn't miss the metal beast. So at cool. least it's Kim
1: Delaney. I like yeah. Kim Delaney, But, <laughs> but yeah, so that was the negative on that. Uh, full eclipse, nowhere near as good a title, obviously, even though it's good for the movie. It's not as good. A title. Um, I love how high concept this is. I think it's such a you know, it's a, it's something you almost expect us to be a TV show where everyone's turning into super wolves and uh, solving crimes, which is a lot of fun. Um, I like the micro dosing. I think the bad guy was a good bad guy. I thought the sex scene was weird and fun. And again, Mario Van Peoples is is the thing that both these movies otherwise would lack is a, a star quality in one of these movies. And it's just super creative. Uh, and, and it doesn't really sag at any point. It's just very, mm-hmm. it's a very very consistent even though it's very 90s and sometimes that's a really good thing and sometimes that's a little cheesy but it's always going for it it doesn't have any moment where I was like bored or out of the movie
0: I found the action sequences to be a lot um, better in full eclipse and a lot um, better paced. Like Mm -hmm. it was just constant action, whether they were hunting criminals on the street and we were watching them take down some bad guy um, or it was actual werewolf action. Like there was, it was constantly moving forward at a very level pace instead of, we got a really good beginning and end. Now in the middle, we have science. Um, and so it, it had science in it. It still was kind of this, you know, science fiction werewolf bend. But the cop stuff really offset it because it was very much like training day, but with werewolves. Like yeah, that, hey, that sells itself. Yeah. join Join my vigilante cop group. And also I'm a werewolf. That right. was, it was the setup of it. And so. But that,
1: don't sleep with my woman. Otherwise we're going to have a, a problem in the group. <laughs> that uh, we're going to a
0: werewolf fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a werewolf fight. Well, so I think that one of the things, the way to look at it is we have only one middle, a werewolf, and we have a whole group of, uh, cop super soldier werewolves. So yes. maybe this wasn't a fair fight after all, because maybe for my money, Mario Van Peeble is coming out on top.
0: Super group of cop vigilante werewolves definitely trumps one metal werewolf in my book. Full Eclipse was full an eclipse. absolute joy. I had such a good time watching this. Whereas and it was
1: the first view for you, right? Yeah, yeah I, had I had never seen
0: Full years. Eclipse before. So whereas I kind of nodded off in the middle of the science for Metal Beast, I was all in with Full Eclipse the whole time. So we,
1: even though we have a winner, I am going to say, I think that's actually also works very well as a double feature because they're different yeah. enough and they're quite fun. So I would... Recommend you do both if you haven't seen them. But Full Eclipse is the winner of our summer fight.
0: Yeah. Metal Beast um, is currently streaming on Amazon. I don't think I paid for it. I think it was either through Prime or Shutter.
1: I think you're right on that. And Full Eclipse, I think, is a little bit more of a search. A little bit harder
0: to find. Yeah.
1: But now that it's one, you're going to go look for
0: it. Yeah. So... (laughs) Thank you so much for listening tonight. So Elric and I are going to be taking a couple of weeks off from Colors of the Dark while I go shoot a film. Um, and uh, then when we get back, um, we will. Summer pick might be back
1: patchy, up. but we'll try. We We're don't know. Gonna, we, we still don't know all our summer plans, but something's going to happen. Uh, maybe don't worry.
0: doing some solo, like Nightmare University lectures. But I'll I will figure it out. Uh, one of us will be back mid July, and so we'll be picking back up mid July. But we'll be off for a couple of weeks. But our Patreon show will still be running. So if you are looking for some seriously weird um, deep cut titles, you can always uh, check out our Patreon show, Deep Cuts, and that will still be posting every other week.
1: Yeah, but thanks for, uh, we had a blast doing this whole, you know, last month of 80s films and into getting to talk to Josh. So it's been a good, it's going to been a good charge to summer. But after the year of pandemic, I think all of us could use a quick recharge. A quick so
0: recharge. And, well but you know what's going to have to come in August? Mm-hmm. The 90s.
1: Ooh, well, we Ooh, just did a nice little September's. streak here.
0: Yeah, we did a nice little 90s where we'll I'm into it. I'm take, into it. I'm um, digging some full of clips, so we'll see where it takes us. Plus, I miss doing topics. So um, like I was running topics by uh, you a couple of nights ago where I was like, I want to do car exploitation. then I want to talk about drug horrors. And then I want to talk about, and so, yeah, I'm excited to dig back in and get some topics going in the mix. We will. Yeah, well.
1: yeah it's been a little while. It's been, yeah. we've done it with we've, a lot of 80s. been
0: deep in 80s, and I'm excited to get back into some topics as well. Um, but first, uh, let's, let's, uh, take a brief break and we will see you guys in mid July. So thank you all so much.
1: Big thanks to all the team at Fangoria and big thanks to our sound engineer, Ernie.
0: The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado.